can go. You know, you, you can go out. Sometimes just don't eat all the pizza at Monocles because I'm, I'm joining you there. But really, if, if you don't want to stay for this, you're not going to offend my, uh, you're not going to hurt my feelings. You know, it, it is, I, I appreciate the, the ability to be able to wear whatever we wanted to wear. And I, I've been looking around. First service, there was a lot of blue. Just a lot of blue. There's a little bit more red in this one. And um, I don't know. It, it, and we're down. You know, it's, uh, our backs are against the walls. not looking too good for us. And I don't normally do this, but, man, I'm feeling the peer pressure. And I'm, I'm kind of despondent. And so I'm taking that off. But then I remember a guy named Lazarus. They thought he was dead and buried. He came back. I believe the Cubs are going to come back too. Of course, I can't even put a shirt on, so what do I know? <laughs> it is good to be with you today. I just want to know, how many of you grew up in the church? How many of you grew up in the church? Were you like me? When the doors were open, you were there. That was the rule at our house. Every time the doors were open, we were expected to be there. Sunday morning, we were there for Sunday school and church. Sunday evening when we came back, and, and there was youth group and Sunday evening church. And then, you know, anything during the week. And I grew up in a little country church down South Fork Church of Christ, um, outside of Rochester. But anytime the doors were open, we were there. And, and church was such an important part of our lives that we even played church when we were kids. I, I grew up in a little place outside of Rochester called Buckhart. Any of you know where Buckhart is? Buckhart just a little, little place. There's not a whole lot to do in Buckhart if you're not over 21 because about the only thing they have is a tavern and a handful of houses. And so my friends would come over and we would play church. Uh, we would sing the songs together and uh, we take turns preaching and there's a creek behind our house and sometimes we'd baptize people in the creek and... Uh, Sometimes we baptize people who didn't want to be baptized. It, it wasn't always a spiritual time. And then when I was 19 years old, I became a weekend youth minister up in, in, in Plano, Illinois. I was a sophomore at Lincoln, and I, I went up, I, I started my ministry, and then I went to Havana, Illinois, and then Harrodsburg, Kentucky, Rochester. Now I, I've been at Lincoln for almost five years. So for the last 38 years, I've been in ministry, and here's what I've learned in those last 38 years. Kids are not the only ones who know how to play church. Are you following me? Adults know how to play church. In fact, sometimes entire congregations know how to play church. In fact, today, all across our land, there will be churches that will be a lot like this. People will come in and they'll know when to stand and when to sit and they'll, they'll have an offering and they'll have prayers. There'll be a, a message. They may have communion and then they'll get up and they'll go home and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in their life and nothing will change in their community or around the world because of what they just did. Adults are good at playing church. But you see, the, the problem with that is we haven't been called to play church. We've been called to be the church. We've been called to be the body of Christ. And that's what I want us to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're just going to walk through the first six verses and, and pull out a few pictures. I'm calling this a photo album of a healthy church. 
And if we had a photo album, this is what a healthy church looks like. These would be some pictures that would represent the stories in a healthy church. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We're going to stop right there. Paul says to God's holy people, in section one of this photo album, we would see pictures and we would hear stories about a church filled with holy people. That, that word holy means separate or different or set apart. It's not just being good. You see, there, there's a lot of good people in the world, but they don't know Jesus, and so they're not holy. But sometimes I think we get that confused. With, we think holy is if we do the good things and we don't do the bad things and we're holy. But that isn't what that word holy means. When I, when I was a kid growing up in that little country church, Marion Henderson was our preacher. He, he was a professor for a long time at, at Lincoln. He would come down on weekends and, and preach at our, our, our country church. And I, I still remember Marion Henderson had this little five-finger exercise. It seemed like he used it every week. I, I know he didn't, but I remember hearing it all the time. He would say, Christians don't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or go with girls who do. That, that was the, the five-finger exercise. There, there's a period in my life where I thought those were five of the Ten Commandments. And there's a period in my life where I thought, you know, if I avoid the big five, then maybe... I'll be good enough to go to heaven someday. If I avoid the big five, then maybe I'll be holy. But you see, just avoiding sin isn't what makes us holy. Again, there's a lot of good people who live good lives who don't know Jesus. Being holy is more than being good. It's being God's. It's being held in God's hands so that, that we reflect him. It, it's not just that, that we have faith or we believe. It's moving beyond that to conviction. That, that uh, belief is something we hold on to. Conviction is what holds us. And we become holy when God is holding us. We're in his hands and we are reflecting his nature and his glory. And in his letter to the Colossians, Paul lets us know that we need to be holy if we're going to be a healthy church. Now, I'm in a different church almost every Sunday. I have the opportunity to, to get called in. A, a lot of churches are not healthy, and, and they need uh, someone to talk to. And so I'll go in, and, and here's what I'm seeing way more than I'd like. I, I'm seeing churches that are starting to look a little bit more like high moral country clubs than the body of Christ. You know what I mean there? As all the arrows are in, the, all the programs and the ministries and the emphasis and the budget are going in, it's all for the members. And, and, and there used to be a, a credit card commercial that said membership has its privileges. And I've heard for a long time that, that the church is just the opposite. In the church, membership gives up its privileges. It's not about us. It's about how do we reach a lost and dying world. And yet so many churches have become country clubs. Where it's about us. It's, it's, we, we come in and, and we put the mask on and we play the role. We go home. But it's about us. We haven't been called to be a country club. We've been called to be the body of Christ. So a church that is going to be a healthy church has to be filled with people who live a holy life. Paul goes on. 
Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. In section 2, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church filled with people who have a passionate faith. He, he writes, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I, I would hope that if the Apostle Paul or someone like the Apostle Paul were to write a letter to the church here in Clinton today, that at some point in that letter, he would say, I've heard of your faith. Don't you think that would be a good thing? Again, I'm out with a lot of different churches, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not hearing about a lot of churches' faith. I, I hear about their programs and their buildings and their budgets and their strategic plans and, and, and uh, their problems and conflicts, but I don't hear a lot about faith. We need to be growing in our faith. We need to pa- be passionate in our faith. Several years ago, I heard Gene Apple, who uh, grew up in Lincoln, he's one of our alum, and, and he was preaching at that time out in, in uh, Las Vegas, took a church and just grew it uh, to be a, a big church. And he said that he was going to, uh, he, he was speaking at a convention uh, one time, and, and I, I heard him there, he, he said he was at a workshop at a convention, and a guy raised his hand and he said, Gene, to what do you attribute the dynamic growth of the church in Vegas? And Gene said, it's the hand of God. The hand of God has been on us. And he said, the guy just, you can see, he thought for a minute, and he said, other than the hand of God, what are you doing? Other than the hand of God? Isn't the hand of God the most important thing? In fact, I I would suggest that probably as church leaders, when we get together, we we probably don't need to talk about strategic planning and programs and, and all of our plans as much as we need to just seek the hand of God. Say, God, this is your church. We, we seek you. In our individual lives, we gather in a place like this or a small group or a Sunday school class, and, and we talk about everything under the sun, don't we? We talk about our families and our problems and, and our vacations. How often do we talk about the hand of God and what God is doing in my life and why I love God more today than I did three months ago? A healthy church is filled with people who have a passionate faith. You know, people come here, and, and I hope, I, I really hope that someone new, a, a guest, will be here every week at First Christian Church. But when the guests come, they may not understand everything that you do here. They, they won't know every song that you sing. They probably won't understand every word of the sermon. They won't know why you stand sometimes and why you sit sometimes. There's a lot of things they won't understand. But here's one of the things that they need to understand when they walk out those doors. They need to walk out knowing those people are excited about something. Because if they walk out and they know that you're excited about something, they'll be back to find out what you're excited about. But if they come in and they see a group of people just going through the motions, but there's no passion, why would they come back? A healthy church is filled with people who have a passionate faith. Paul goes on. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on and he says, and the love you have for all God's people. The love you have for all God's people. In section three, we would see pictures and stories of, of a church filled with people who love people. That isn't rocket science, is it? That a church ought to be filled with people who really love people. 
And yet, all too often, churches are not seen as people who love people. You see, when I picture the church, I picture, here's the, we are the body of Christ, and our arms are stretched out, welcoming people who come, and then when people come, our arms are around them. That's the picture I see of the church. But here's my fear. I don't think that's what the world sees when the world looks at the church. I think the world, instead of seeing us like this, probably sees us more like this. That we are ready to fight. We're ready to fight anyone outside the church who doesn't think the way we think, doesn't believe the way we, th- we believe, doesn't live the way we live. We're ready to fight. And even inside the church, one of the things that blows me away is how many people who claim to love and follow Jesus can't get along with other people who claim to love and follow Jesus. When I was preaching in Havana, Illinois, uh, Havana's a, we, we loved our time there. It was on the Illinois River, uh, probably a, a typical river town. There were more bars per capita than any place I've ever lived. But there were restaurants and coffee shops. You know what the topic of conversation was on Monday morning at the coffee shops and the restaurants? Everyone in the coffee shop was talking about who was mad at who at what church and the latest church fight. Everyone in town knew it. So after a while, here's my question. Why would the people out there want to be in here if they knew? If they knew that they'd probably be treated better at the bar on Friday night than church on Sunday morning. Folks, that's not just sad. That's not just a shame. That is sin. That's what so many churches have done to the body of Christ. Why does that happen? Again, it's not rocket science that we're supposed to love each other. Jesus said it's pretty simple. You love God and you love each other. So why do we have a hard time loving each other? Well, let let me just suggest the main thing is we're not perfect. Let, let, Let me just do a little survey. How many of you are perfect? Let me see your hands. Put them way up there. I only see one hand. We're not perfect, are we? Churches aren't filled with perfect people. Let, let me introduce you to a few people who have been in my churches for the 34 years that I preach and uh, see if maybe you might know some of their cousins. The first guy, I call him Anonymous Al. Anonymous Al loves to write letters. He just doesn't sign his name. When I was first starting out in ministry, oh man, Anonymous Al ate my lunch. I mean, I, I, was, I was always trying to figure out this back before computers. Oh, they were handwritten anonymous letters. They, they put the time into it back then. And, and I'd say, is, he, is it a he or a she? Are they left-handed or right-handed? Is there any phrase I've ever heard before? And I, I can't tell you how many kingdom hours I wasted trying to figure out who wrote that anonymous letter. Before there was CSI... I was CSI, man. I, I, I was trying to figure it out. I went to an elders meeting one time, and, and I gave the, uh, uh, the elders, I said, we got another anonymous letter. And one of the elders said, let me see that. So I gave it to him. He wadded it up, and he threw it away. And he said, that's what we do with anonymous letters around here. If you're not going to sign your name, we don't even read it. And I'm so thankful for that elder and the hours that he saved me over the next 30-some years. But, but I learned, just a few years ago, I learned that anonymous letters have been around for a long time. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, told a story about he, he was with a group of people and he reached his hand in his pocket and he felt a piece of paper. And, and someone had given it to him earlier in the day and he never had 
time to, to pull it out and read it. He pulled it out and he opened it up, and, and there's only one word written on the paper. And it's a word that I've never been here before. I don't know if I ought to use this. And so I just adopted this little rhyme a few years ago, when in doubt, leave it out. So I'm not going to tell you what the word was. I'm just going to give you a hint because I think you're sharp people. It's another word for donkey. Do you have it? For those of you who still look confused, let me give you one more hint. If you're thinking jackrabbit, you're only halfway there. And that's all I'm going to say. He looked at it and he said, now this is a first. I've had plenty of times where people have written letters and they forgot to sign their name. This guy signed his name and forgot to write the letter. Good old anonymous Al. Another lady that's been in my church, I call her Tightwad Tanya. Tightwad Tanya has a mantra and it is, if I don't get my way, I won't give my money. Folks, let me tell you something. There are churches all across our land who are being held hostage by tightwad Tanyas. And here's what I learned a lot, long time ago. I hope you already know this. Our God is rich. Our God doesn't need Tanya's money. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we should never let a tightwad Tanya hold us hostage. Next guy, I call him Wet Blanket Willie. Wet Blanket Willie, he, he throws a wet blanket on everything. It won't work. I don't like it. We tried it before. No matter what you want to do, he's throwing the wet blanket on it. And then one more, I call him Complaining Carl. Complaining Carl, nothing's ever right, and he lets you know. Carl's the kind of guy that, that when, uh, when I was at Rochester and, and Samuel grew up in our, our church, we, we had a Saturday night service and three Sunday morning services, and maybe it was just a record attendance. We had a bunch of baptisms. Spirit was great. I'm, I'm really excited. And Carl comes through the line at the 1045 service, and he says, Preacher, I didn't like that one song we did. Thanks, Carl. We weren't singing it to you. You probably need to know that. <laughs> and I could go on and on about some other people, but I won't. Let, let me introduce you to some people that I've had in the church, my, my churches over the years, that have influenced me and been such an encouragement to me. First guy, I call him Ernie the Encourager. And Ernie's never up front. You're not going to see him preaching or teaching or leading songs or anything like that. But whenever you're around Ernie, you just feel better. You know someone like that? You walk in the room, if Ernie's there... You just feel better for being in the room with him. Ernie's the kind of guy that every once in a while, you know, a preacher will get up. I, 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 I've done this before, Lynn. I don't know if you've ever done this, but, you know, you get up and, and you think, I'm really excited. This is going to be a good sermon. And about five minutes in, you realize this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. About ten minutes in, you think, oh, this is a bomb. You know, I, I got to get out of this somehow. And, and most people are fairly gracious. They're not going to go through the line and say, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Carl will, but most, most of the others won't. And I, I'm just standing there, and I'm trying to act like everything's good, and I, I'm, I just want to go home and lick my wounds and do a better job the next week. And then Ernie comes through the line with tears in his eyes. And he says, preacher, how did you know? How did you know God spoke directly to me through you today? And I, I go home, and I know it still wasn't a very good sermon, but Ernie reminded me that it's not about me anyway. It's about God. I call the next one Harry the Helper, and Harry just, he's always there to help. It, it doesn't matter what you need. He's not going to be up front, but he, he's always there to help. I, I call the next one Pat the Prayer Warrior, who's always praying. Pat will pray for you when you can't pray for yourself. Have you ever been there? Been going through a tough time, and it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and 
man, it's just a tough time. You don't know how you're going to make it, but you make it, and you look back and you think, how on earth did I make it through that tough time? Well, I made it because Pat was praying for me. Let me tell you about one more. And I need to tell you that preachers will tell you that we don't have favorites. We lie. Because this next one, man, she's my favorite. I call her Betty the Baker. And Betty the Baker knows the perfect time to come by with a plate of chocolate chip cookies, coconut cream pie, or German chocolate cake. Now, this is my first time here. I'm kind of hoping I come back someday, so I'm going to repeat that. And some of you need to be taking notes right now. Chocolate chip cookies, coconut cream pie, German chocolate cake. And I I can't explain it. I have no idea what it is. But you can be going through a tough time, and Betty comes by with a plate of chocolate chip cookies, and there is something spiritually enriching and healing about those cookies. Folks, here's what I want you to know. Being the body of Christ is about loving people. And you give me a church filled with Ernie's and Harry's and Pat's and Betty's, and we can turn Clinton, Illinois, upside down for Jesus Christ. It is about how we love other people. And we need to love the people that Jesus loved with the love of Jesus. In section four of this photo album, we would find a church filled with people who share the gospel message. There is nothing that should ever take the place or become more important than sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. I heard Ben Merrill one time say that we should never start out to grow a big church. We should start out to win people to Jesus. And if we win enough people to Jesus, we'll eventually have a big church. But nothing takes the place of winning people to Jesus. Paul writes that in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. I'm so thankful for First Christian here in Clinton because you get that. You get that. You, you have been a mission-minded church, as Greg talked about, for a long, long time. And your fingerprints and your footprints are all over the world. Thank you for that. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. In this photo album, there would be one more page. Paul writes, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. The hope stored up for you in heaven. In section 5, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church that is filled with people who have a great hope. Folks, again, I, I, I trust that you already know this, but our, our hope isn't in a building. And our hope isn't in a program. And our hope isn't in a person other than the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in heaven. And, and I think of people who, who have been here over the years who are no longer here physically, but they're not dead. They're more alive today than they've ever been because they're in heaven. That's what our hope is. And there are people all around you. There are people all around the world who just are running pretty short on hope right now. And we need to do two things. We need to hold that hope out to them, and we need to hold on to that hope ourselves. Because when you lose your hope, Life is tough. So a healthy church always holds on to the hope and holds that hope out to other people. Let let me wrap up by just telling you one quick story. I say quick story. It may not be quick. 
I've had the privilege of uh, being on a mission board for, I served for 25 years, and, and there was a period in my life where I was traveling to other countries quite a bit. I, I've been to Africa 13 times, and Cambodia, Thailand, Afghanistan, Haiti, Mexico, and, and, and I, it's just been a privilege to be able to do that. But I remember my very first trip. We flew into Nairobi, Kenya for a, a few days, and we went into Zaire, which is now Democratic Republic of Congo. We were there for about two and a half weeks, and we flew back to Nairobi. We stayed a couple of days in a, a guest home, guest house, and then we flew home. The, the crime rate in Nairobi is fairly high. So the, the guest houses have big walls and gates, and there was a gatekeeper that worked at the guest house, and every day he would open the gate to let us out if we wanted to go downtown in a taxi, and he'd open the gate and let us in. I, I came home the, the day before we left, and he wasn't there. And we got out of the taxi, walked up, and, and he was up by the, the entry, uh, the, the front door of the house, and he had a, a blanket down on the ground, and he had souvenirs. And there were wood carvings and paintings and jewelry and things like that. And so I got looking at him, and I had everything I had planned to take home. And he looked at me, and he said, would you be willing to trade any clothing for souvenirs? I, I want to go to school, and clothes are very expensive, and I need to have better clothes to be able to go to school. Could you trade? So I, I went down to my room, and I, I, I got several pairs of shirts and uh, pants and um, shoes, and, and I went up. And we worked out a trade. He was happy. I was happy. I went down. I was putting the souvenirs in my suitcase with my other clothes. And it dawned on me, I I don't need all these clothes. And when I get home, I've got a closet full of clothes and dressers full of clothes. So I just pulled them up in my arms. I went back up. And I I said, these these are for you. I don't want to trade. These are a gift. I just want you to have them because I want you to be able to go to school. The look on his face you would have thought I gave him $20,000 instead of some used clothes. I, I wish I could adequately describe the look on his face, that smile. I, I wish I could describe it. I can't. Here's what I can do. I can describe how it made me feel. And here's how it made me feel. If Delta Airlines would have let me get a, away with it, I would have flown home in my boxer shorts. I would have given him everything I had. It made me feel that good. The next day, we, we had the taxi come to pick us up to take us to the airport, and I looked up, and he wasn't at the gate. And I, I just had this little bit of a heartbreak, because I thought, I wanted to see him one more time. And the gatekeeper opened the gate, and we pulled out, and before we got to the, the first side street, here he came running down that street, and he's waving his arms, and, and he said, wait, 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 and, and it's hot, you know, the windows were already down, and he doesn't miss stride, he just dives right in the window. And he grabs both of my hands and he looks me right in the eyes. I mean, his face is right here. And with his big smile and his eyes bright, he said, If I don't see you again here, I will see you in heaven. If I don't see you again here, I will see you in heaven. Church, that's what it's all about. It's not about being the biggest church in town. It's not about building a huge building. It's not about having a a big budget. It's about going to heaven someday and doing everything that we can to make sure as many people as possible are there as well. I'll never forget those words. Thank you for being a healthy church. 
And my prayer will continue to be that God's hand will always be upon this church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to to gather and look at your word and be reminded of who you are and who we are and what we've been called to do. God, help us to be faithful to you. I pray for this church, Father. I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon them. And I pray that men and women and boys and girls throughout this area and all around the world will be in heaven someday because of this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.